The God of the Bible is emotional. Many Christians don't want to associate emotions with God, and yet the Bible is full of stories where God expresses deep emotion. Hello and welcome to the God Story Podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and uh, I'm joined once again by my co-host, the Reverend Ian Reid Rido from Kings Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. And we're joined by our very special guest, David Lamb, the Alan A. McRae Professor of Old Testament and Dean of Faculty at Missio Seminary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the States, in the great city of Philadelphia. He previously worked in campus ministry with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and has taught extensively in various cross-cultural contexts. And he's the author of God Behaving Badly, among many books, and we interviewed him about God Behaving Badly, I think earlier this year, a new edition of it, uh, which is an interview I thoroughly enjoyed. But his new book from IVP America is called The Emotions of God, Making Sense of a God Who Hates, Weeps and Loves. And I find this a fascinating, I found this a fascinating read. So David, hi, welcome from Philadelphia. Thank you, Brent. And, um, and Ian, it's my pleasure to be with you today. Oh, thank you. Uh, Philadelphia, the home of the legendary Philadelphia Orchestra. <laughs> that's those of us who that's are, what we're known for. Yeah, well, among many other things, I'm sure. Um, but that's what dings my chime, music. So, okay. Now, why do we not want to associate emotions with God? What's the problem with God having emotions? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I don't know all of why it is. Um, I think some uh, theological or denominational traditions um, have struggled to understand a God who is not um, fully rational. Um, I think all of us struggle with emotions, and we realize that there's a, an upside and maybe more of a, a bigger downside to emotions. And so when we think or reflect or even read passages in the Bible that speak about God's emotions, they can seem uncontrollable, they can seem irrational, and I think a lot of people, a lot of Christians don't want to associate this type of uncontrollable irrationality to the divine being that they worship and have given their lives to. And I understand some of that. Uh, yeah, so it, it, it goes, un, and again, we, we could talk about some of the, the theological reasons why some people uh, move this way, but there's a, a variety of factors. I think a lot of it is just people feel uncomfortable with it. Yeah, are Christians, are we afraid of emotions, do you think? Do we, do we feel uncomfortable about emotion? Some I think questions? it depends on some some traditions more so than others. Like, uh, you know, I'll speak about, I, I can't speak about, you know, international context, New Zealand. Um, I can speak to my own tradition most, most um, accurately, perhaps. But I think a lot of traditions that are used to, you know, we, we sit in the pews and, you know, we sing the songs. But there are there are other traditions in other parts of the world that are much more emotional. My my wife travels to Liberia, West Africa, several times a year, and um, her Liberian brothers and sisters in Christ, I think, are less um, emotionally inhi uh, inhibited mm -hmm. as a lot of Americans are. I can speak about Americans, and um, so I think there are, are a, ver a variety of factors. Um, Charismatic traditions typically um, tend to be a little bit more comfortable. I, I've been, we've been, we've attended a lot of charismatic churches in our wanderings in California, and um, when our, we lived in England for a while. So, but there are other denominations and other traditions that I think just feel much less comfortable and are threatened by it, um, threatened by speaking about emotions and trying to think about and particularly understand God as a, an emotional being, um, it just seems um, irrational. 
I'm going to bring uh, Ian, my co-host, in. Ian, you're a Presbyterian. We both are, in effect. You're officially a Presbyterian. Presbyterians don't have problems expressing emotions, do they? We, we, well, we don't because we don't have any. That's the <laughs> that's the issue. <laughs> but um, I was going to say, Aussies, you know, Aussies and Kiwi blokes, Aussies and Kiwi blokes, I always think of Americans as quite a passionate and emotional people. But whereas well, that, Aussies, that's, Aussies, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but Aussie and Kiwi blokes, no, we don't do emotion here, brother, none at all. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's you know, in New Zealand. I think it's probably worse outside of the church than it's actually in the church as well. You could Sorry. be right. You could be right. Actually, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Now, um, David, we need to deal with the elephant in the room because we're going to get asked about divine impassibility. This some um, strange doctrine, which, and I know you have uh, difficulties with it. What what are they? Um, I, I I understand some of the background to it, and again, I just need to say up front. The, 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 the idea behind divine impassibility is that that the God we worship, the God of the Bible, um, is not um, impacted by humans so that we, it's not like humans are doing things and prompting God to have these uncontrollable displays of emotions. And I understand some of where this comes from. And, and there, are, there are certainly passages in the Bible that can be used to support this doctrine. And a lot of, a lot of friends I know subscribe to it. It's not one I subscribe to. I, I think part of it, it, it goes all the way back, well, via Calvin, uh, via uh, Aquinas, via Augustine, all the way back to Plato, who spoke spoke of um, an unmoved mover. Mm. I think, you know, as as Christians, as people, you know, as, as Christians, we, we can read Plato and learn from him. I'm a little bit concerned about taking kind of core doctrines of, of you know, my view of God. Um, and I, I think I think Plato has impacted certain um, traditions of the church in ways that I would say do not, do not feel biblical to me. And so what people do that subscribe to this view is they see when the God of the Bible is expressing emotions and they say, well, it's it's a way for God to communicate, and the authors of Scripture are are using um, anthropomorphic, you know, which is God is like humans, or anthropopathic, another term that um, these types of folks. Uh, it's a word that means that God is displaying human emotions in a way that don't really accurately represent who He is. Um, again. I, it's not a view I subscribe to, so I apologize if there are people out there that think, well, this guy doesn't really get it. For me, <laughs> I, don't I, look at get, I don't think any of us get divine <laughs> I, I look at Jesus mm. and I just say, this guy, it's, it's not like Jesus had a, um, sometimes I'm, I'm in Sunday school classes where um, we, we see God, we see Jesus weep or we see Jesus get angry or we see Jesus um, really delighted and joyful and we think well that's when he's when he's emotional that's when he's wearing his human hat and but oh and then when he reads people's minds or displays miracles and does these things that's when he's wearing his god hat my problem with that is he's he's wearing both hats all the time there's a, there there are heresies that go back to thinking that god that jesus isn't isn't always fully human and fully divine and so when i read the gospels that's that Jesus is God in human form and he is displaying a wide variety of emotions. And, and when I read the, the, about the God of the old Testament, I see the same thing and it's just talked about too much. So, and it's clear 
in my reading of scripture that God it responds emotionally to things that humans do. And so, you know, again, there's a lot more that could be said, but yes. for those reasons, uh, impassibility is not a doctrine doctrine that um, I I think is supported by, I, I think it is not supported by scripture. Ian, just quickly before we move on, what's your quick response to this? I don't know. <laughs> you're kind of, yeah, yeah it, it, it is one of those things that has been debated in the church, but yeah, for a very, very long time. For about 2000 yeah. years, in fact. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Anyway, okay. Uh, yeah, and I, 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 I don't think I'm going to be able to solve it. No, no, I don't think I don't. And, and neither do I. And, and I was going to have a long index. I was going to include it in my book. And I just thought there are people that think about this more. My friends that are systematic theologians think about this more. I I, I was going to have an appendix to discuss it. I just thought this is a can of worms that I am not going to do justice to. I'm a Bible guy. I'm going to talk about the Bible. And if people have problems with how I interpret the Bible, I understand that. Let's 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 look at the Bible and let's discuss these passages. God gets emotional. Yes, I think we need to deal with it. He does. And and he is presented as a God of of whatever word you want to use. I think the church fathers used was it affections and yes, affections, yeah. Jonathan like Edwards. Yeah, because yes. they just they just wanted to to um, get away from this idea that God might have sort of irrational, wildly out of control feelings. Um, I think that's part of what what's behind it. But I think they would say God has feelings, emotions, whatever yes, word you certainly, want to use. Certainly, now, certainly. Why, I mean, I loved I love the book. Why is it important to look at the poetic books of the Bible? to understand how and why God expresses emotion, do you think? You spend quite a bit of time on the Psalms, which is fantastic. I do, I do. I think my dissertation was on the book of, books of, well, basically Kings, but in secondarily Samuel. I feel more comfortable in narrative books. Um, I love the book of Genesis. I, I can understand a story. I have always had a harder time with poetry um, um, reading it, studying it, writing it. But the older I've gotten, the more I've realized there's just so much depth in, in, like, in, in poetry, but even particularly the Psalms um, about God and God's nature and God's character. I, I think, again, I don't know about your, your different traditions. I know that in some traditions, I mean, most traditions will value the Psalms. <laughs> My joke about the Psalms is it's the only part of the Old Testament that sometimes gets, well, sometimes gets included in those little tiny quarter Bibles that claim to be half Bibles, you know, the New Testament and Psalms. Now, again, I, I'm dating myself because um, any any listeners that are younger than 30 don't know what I'm talking about. But those of us that used to, you know, used to carry around our Bibles with us in our back pocket, I think they might know what I'm talking about, the New Testament and the Psalms. So Psalms are valued, but I think we we don't know what to do with, and I think it's not just me. I think there's, we have, we love, a lot of folks love Paul. And there's a lot of things to love about Paul or the Gospels, but poetry can be harder because it's harder to understand. And Psalms are a little bit more confusing. But as we, the psalmists, now whether we're talking about David or some of the, a lot of the other psalmists, and I know David was a major contributor, but there are a lot of other people that were involved probably in this process. The Psalms depict a relationship with God, which is deep. And both the psalmist is expressing their emotions in deeply emotive feelings, um, praise um, and lament. And the, the psalmist is also 
very aware that the things that the psalmist themselves are feeling connect with God because God is an emotional being as well. Um, and so I think sometimes when we, we summarize the psalms, it's almost like we think, like we summarize the story. Well, you know, God's Story Podcast, I love the title. Um, the problem with thinking about God's story, though, is where do the psalms fit into that? Mm. Are they kind of a parentheses? And I yes, and I'm sure not, I hope not. But when we think about a story, it is, it's harder to figure out where these deep prayers fit in. And these prayers, um, as I read them, and I think many people as well, they see the, the depth, the richness of the emotive expressions, both, both from the psalmist as well as the, the person that the psalmist is usually speaking to, God himself. Yes, and we find a God who's maximally alive with uh, perfections or emotions yes. or what, in, yes. in the Psalms. I mean, what sort of emotions do we find attributed to God in the Psalms, do you think? Well, um, again, I, I, in my book, I, I pick seven, um, and I think we see all of those in the Psalms. There are more that we could talk about, but these are the, there were seven that I saw showing up in a lot of places, in, and even particularly the Psalms. So I, I talk about three negative emotions, um, and I put negative in quotes here. The, the hatred of God, the, um, the wrath of God, and the jealousy of God. Um, the sorrow of God, which is a little bit kind of an, it's hard to know what to do with that. And then three sort of what I call positive emotions, the, the joy or delight, the compassion, and then the love of God. So, you know, we, we see all of these. I, mean, I think Psalm 69 is a psalm that I talk a lot about. Um, and now we don't, um, we see all of the psalm, all of these seven, the seven emotions that I see, and we see all of them throughout the Psalms. Psalm 69 speaks about many of them in terms of God. And then I also talk about um, Psalm 119, you know, the, the longest book in the Bible, the longest Psalm by far, whereas in, in Psalm 119, the psalmist themselves is expressing the, the most of those Psalms, uh, most of those emotions, whereas um, Psalm 69, um, in, in many cases, the psalmist is seeing how God, you know, is expressing these emotions, um, and the psalmist is somehow trying to connect to God um, in his emotional character. Yes, yeah, so if we've got time, we, I think we've got time, we might come on and deal with one of each, one, um, one so-called negative okay. and one so-called positive, if we may, okay. more if we have time. I've, I've made notes here, because I'm, I'm fascinated by the way you deal with these. I think we might have talked about the wrath or anger of God in our last podcast, but how does the, right. how does the Bible describe God? Because it's this is something that folk feel very uncomfortable about. They don't like all this talk about God being angry, as though God doesn't isn't angry. Why, why would you not? Yes, be? yes. How, how, how does the Bible describe God as wrathful or angry? What sort of what sort of terms does it use for God's anger? Yeah, and and again, some in some places. Uh, I, I lived in England, and we talked about the, the wrath of God. In the U.S., I will say the wrath of God. And so I apologize. Wrath. Sorry, it's wrath or wrath. Wrath for our American <laughs> listeners and wrath for New Zealanders. And yes, Re yes. Rito probably has his own Australian pronunciation. <laughs> wrath. It's wrath yeah. in Australia. <laughs> But um, sorry, um, I won't say anything. <laughs> so I, in some places, the, the wrath of God is almost synonymous with judgment and punishment. And, and um, that's not the thing I'm primarily talking about um, when I discuss the anger or wrath. I'm thinking about the, the, this feeling of emotion. I think, um, again, the thing I like, I, I often say is for a lot of men, Anger is the one emotion that it's almost like acceptable 
you know, you, you don't feel like you're compromising your masculinity or something if you're angry. Um, you know, a, a, an American football player, um, Tom Brady, uh, you may have heard of him. I don't know. He's he's pretty big over here. He got angry at his offensive linemen recently because they were he was getting sacked. And one of the offensive linemen said, oh, I love that he got so mad. You know, you're not compromising um, your masculinity in this regard, I, I think. But with, with God, there, there can be a troubling aspect to God getting angry because um, you know, for many of us, you know, we, we have these images of angry dads or maybe angry grandparents or angry uncles. I don't know, angry older brothers, angry teachers. I don't know, men that were angry and a little bit out of control. And, and that's understandable. And that's, you know, for a lot of people, that could be kind of a trigger. You know, it, it can kind of, you know, almost PTSD that kind of it can trigger sort of panic or fear. Or, and I understand that. The thing that the Bible tells us, and I think it, God doesn't just say this about himself, but he models this. He is consistently slow to anger. I wish I were slow to anger. And sometimes I can be, but I think that is not my, that's not how I get to anger. I usually can get to anger pretty fast. Yes, I'm the same. Yeah. Yeah. And you could ask my, my family about that, but he's slow to anger. And the things that he gets angry about are the things that you want people to get angry about when people are, um, uh, when marginalized people are being exploited or taken advantage of. Um, I, I, I talk a lot about Exodus 22, where uh, God gets angry about uh, when f- foreigners, widows, and orphans are being oppressed. And God says, this is Exodus 22, what, verse 21, um, if you abuse them, oppress them, and they cry out to me, I will surely heed their cry. My wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword. And he's talking to about his own people there. And so when, when we think about a God that gets angry about injustice and oppression, I think most people kind of go, oh, that seems like a pretty good thing to mm-hmm. me. So that helps me. And again, there are other places that you know we could talk about more, but God is slow to anger and he gets angry about the things that you want somebody to get angry about. Yeah. Righteous anger. Yeah, and I think that's good. Absolutely. Yes. And are we as Christians afraid of our anger? Do we, do we tend to shy away from expressing anger in the church? I think we do. I think we do. I, I, I know... And I need to be careful about this because I, I am a passionate person and, you know, people that, you know, are sitting in my class, it's like, yeah, it's, you're, you're passionate. And a lot of, most people appreciate that. But, you know, sometimes if like, if I have a group of students and it just seems like maybe it's early in the afternoon and they're not talking um, and they're just kind of, I don't know, maybe they're on Facebook. I don't know what they're doing. They've got their computers there and I'll just do, you know, I maybe I may clap my hands. <laughs> I'm like, Hey, this is the word of God. Don't you care? engage with me, talk to me, push back, but don't you care? And usually people respond positively to that, Mm. that, but I I didn't, I did, I went, I taught for 20 years before I started feeling comfortable, like actually, and I, and, you know, anger can be, you can use it to manipulate. And so I don't want to do that. And and I want, I want to be slow to anger and I want to get angry about the right things, kind of like God. And and I, again, I confess that that's, I can, I can easily be quick to anger and I can easily get angry about like being insulted, but, but when I'm doing it right. Yeah. And I, and I, I would say, I haven't seen a lot of examples in the church where people, I would say 
like Jesus in the temple with the, you know, the money changers. I mean, my goodness, mm. my wife, I, I talk about this in the book, but my wife was teaching this one time and she actually teaching Mark, um, or I don't know, no, I think it was Mark's gospel where Jesus overturns the table. So like, let's Mark 12 or something. I don't, it wasn't John two. I, I'm pretty sure it was Mark, but she just flipped over the table that she was, that, you know, there, all these people had their pens and their, their Bibles and, and their markers and their cups. And she just flipped over the table, you know, and she's obviously just doing this to make a point. Well, these students are never going to forget that. No, wonderful. I would, yeah, be, uh, both sound like fabulous teachers. Rito, um, do you have one of the emotions of God uh, that you'd like to ask David about? I mean, hate, anger, jealousy, sorrow, joy, compassion, love? Well, well hate, hate's an interesting thing, isn't it? You know, kind of that, you know, we're told, you know, not to hate anything, you know, kind of, and, you know, in wider society that, you know, that, that's a that's a big thing is that you're a hater you know kind of in, in different circumstances yeah, yeah explore that for us yeah hate, hate is a hard one i think hate is the the emotion i hate the most um and i i, I kind of i hated writing the chapter on hate because you know i actually kind of enjoyed the chapter on jealousy i've i've written a lot about anger um sorrow was kind of fun Hate is just so troubling. You know, we're supposed to love the sin um, and hate the sinner, you know, again, dependent on who you talk to. Um, and and I, I think there's there's a lot of good in that. But um, I mean, hate often goes hand in hand with anger, um, not surprisingly. And I think um, the, the thing the thing that's helped me the most is to see that God really, really hates evil. And what is motivating his hatred of evil is his love of the good. And when 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 you see bad things happening to people that you care for, that should you know whether it's anger or hate. I mean, I I I, I and maybe my my you know uh, you know the the counselors out there, the psychologist or the psychiatrist would say, well, he's he's you know conflating these terms. I, I think of. Hatred tends to be deeper and sort of more longer lasting, where anger tends to be more, a little more shallow, but but kind of more quick. Uh, but there are still both clearly negative emotions. I think the thing that helped me the most as I looked at the hatred of God was, and again, you're going to, people might say, well, it sounds like he said something kind of similar. It is very similar to what I see when I see anger, but God is hating the things that are harming people, hurting people, damaging people. Um, and he hates it because of the harm it's doing to other people, but also the harm that it's doing for these evildoers, mm. because he loves the evildoers. Now he's willing to punish the evildoers. Um, but you, 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 the, you, you, you also see this, the psalmist that my, my favorite, what am I, Psalm 139. <laughs> You know, it. You know, I'm I'm fearfully, wonderfully made, right? And and you know, a lot of Christians are familiar with Psalm 139. It's a great psalm, but you know, the, the people tend to be less familiar with the end, <laughs> where the psalmist says, "I hate them with her with with perfect hatred. I count them as my enemies." And then he he says, "I don't. I hate those who hate you." Um, so again, that's the psalmist somehow appropriating God's anger and and and. But the thing is, the psalmist here is praying through their anger to God. And then ultimately, the psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. And I think when when I'm experiencing some of these deep 
intense ang ang uh, anger, um, deep, intense emotions. That's a prayer I want to pray. God, make sure that make sure that my my motivation behind these um, emotions are pure. We've got a couple of minutes left, uh, David. Can we do God's joy? Let's let's sure. focus on something um, more positive. Yes. Although not that in God's case, anger and uh, hate are not positive because they are presented as positive things. I think in Scripture, but uh, God's joy. How does the Bible talk about God's joy? Yeah, I mean that's great. I, I this was actually one of my funnest chapters. I, I the the thing that was most shocking to me, you know, I think most most readers of the Bible are very familiar with you know the the creation story, um, Genesis one. Uh, in the beginning, God created the the you know the heavens and the earth. God at the end of day one, God said it was good. End of day two, God said it was good. It was good. It was good. 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 But as I look at the 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 word behind that, good. I like to say good is a good translation for the Hebrew word tov. But tov is a, the problem with good in English is it can mean things that aren't actually all that great. You know, <laughs> you know, on a scale of one to five, good is like off, it's like, it's maybe almost mediocre, like in the middle. And it's not like God was saying at the end of day one and end of two, day two, end of day three, hey, my creation's okay. It's, I'll give it a three out of five, you know. I'm not, nobody's going to buy buy some uh, you know a a, a, a a an item when they go to wherever you're buying things on Amazon or wherever if the the average review is three out of five, but the word tov here has much deeper connotations of of joy um, and goodness, deep deep rich goodness. Um, and there are a couple of of, of Bible commentators. Um, Brueggemann talks about this. Um, actually, the Good News Bible um, does pretty well with this, speaking about. God saying, basically, he is delighting in his creation. Mm. And that's one of the very first things we learn about God. And it keeps going. He makes the humans and it's tov mayod. It's, it's wonderful. It's not, it is very good, but it's bigger and better than that. He was wonderfully delighting in his humans. And I think for me, and let's face it, there's a lot of people out there that are struggling with emotional health, mental health. And to just re remember that one of the first things the Bible tells us is his creation is delightful and that hum God delights in you mm. and God delights in me. Wow, that's fantastic. And that's, that's I don't know, that's wonderfully therapeutic to know that I'm, I'm created in the image of God and God delights in me. Mm. And again, I think we see this story as we go throughout the Bible, we, we, as we look throughout the rest of the scripture. Yes, thank you. Thank you, David. David Lamb uh, and uh, the uh, Alan A. McRae Professor of Old Testament and Dean of Faculty at Missio Seminary in Philadelphia in the States. The book, which I found fascinating and loved, uh, from IVP America is called The Emotions of God, Making Sense of a God Who Hates, Weeps and Loves. Get hold of a copy. You'll be challenged. You'll be thrilled to bits. Thoroughly enjoyable. And my thanks as always to my co-host, Rito, Reverend Ian Reed of King's Grace Presbyterian Church. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and who take care of things behind the scenes. Gentlemen, thank you both so much. My pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com.